Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, the 29th of September, 2020. For most of the last couple months, if you have been up early in the morning before sunrise or around sunrise, as you've looked into the eastern sky, you'll notice one star that seems to really be brighter than anything else that you're seeing, any other star that you can see at that time. And it's actually because it's not a star at all. It's actually the planet Venus, which is sometimes referred to as the morning star uh, because it's closer to the sun. Oftentimes, the best time to see it is in the morning around sunrise, and it'll be somewhere in that direction. And it can seem very bright compared to stars. And of course, if we didn't have telescopes or things to look like that, we might just think it was another star. But no, it is a planet, the second planet in our solar system and the one that's next to us on the closer side to the sun. And you've probably seen that at times throughout your life and you think of it as bright and it's cool to see and know what it is. But also, again, the grand scheme of a big morning or big night sky, it looks like a small thing, right? I mean, we don't usually walk away saying, wow, that's so huge. It's a relatively small thing compared with the rest of the sky. Did you know that the planet Venus is about the same size as the planet Earth? And even we think about Earth as something from our perspective so big, something so vast. Even many of us, we've only traveled in small parts of this huge a sphere that's floating through uh, space, circling the sun, and it's a big thing. But really, if we just had a different vantage point, if we were looking at Earth from Venus, say, we would realize, wow, it doesn't seem that, that big at all. Well, what about when we look at things from God's perspective? And, and when we look at things from God's perspective, we realize how great and how vast God is compared to anything that we can compare him to. We're going to see that today as we look at the prophet Isaiah and chapters 40 and 41. Now we're kind of turning over a new page, getting into the kind of the second major portion of Isaiah in chapters 40 through the end of the book. And remember the two themes for the book of Isaiah are judgment and salvation. And they're mixed together all throughout the book, but we do see the first part up until now is a little heavier on judgment than salvation. And we're going to see things shift now to focus a little more on salvation, even though there will be some comments on judgment in there. But just take the first um, words of chapter 40, for instance, it begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So there we even see something of a changing tone in what we're going to see in the rest of the book. And here in Isaiah 40, there's a few things that I want us to notice, three things. And the first is that it really shows that God is greater than we can imagine. God is greater than we can imagine. Verse 15 says, behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. You know, we think of earth, we talked about compared to Venus, you know, we think of earth as so big, but then we look out in Venus, something that's about the same size as earth looks so small. Well, from God's perspective, it's all tiny. And he refers to the nations, you know, think of something like the United Nations and all the flags and all the people represented and all the territory that's represented. He says, yeah, 
It's like a drop in a bucket. It's like the dust on the scale, something we probably don't even think about. Something is negligible. Like we're not going to measure how much a drop in a bucket is or how much dust on the scale is. That's not even worth measuring. But God is saying, I am so much greater than what you can see in the world. He, he talks about who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, right? And now this is a little anthropomorphic language. God, the father, he doesn't have a, a physical hand that he's measuring the waters in, but think of, you know, standing on the beach and looking out at something like the Pacific ocean and, and seeing how vast it is and how you can go immerse yourself in just a tiny portion of it. And then there is so vast, so deep. And God's saying, yeah, that, that's, that fits in the palm of my hand or marked off the heavens with the span. You go and try and do that tonight and just put your hand up and see if you can cover up the whole sky. It's not going to work because the, the, even against your hand, the sky is so much bigger and so much vaster. And God is saying, I am so much bigger. I am so much vaster than the things that you think are big and vast. God is so much greater than we can wrap our heads around and we need to worship him. We need to be in awe of his majesty and even just of his magnitude. Also, we need to realize not only is God himself greater than we can imagine, but he is doing something that is greater than we can comprehend. And and that's really what we see at the beginning when he's speaking of comfort and he's talking about iniquity being pardoned and a voice crying in the wilderness. We know this prophecy refers to John the Baptist and even that his word endures forever. That's something that we can't really comprehend because God is doing something. God is saying something that is eternal and valuable. And then we also see verse nine, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And there there we see God is doing something great. And we think of God's salvation and many times we think of God's salvation is something that is complete. And we we think, obviously, of things like Jesus when he said, it is finished, right? And we celebrate that the work of redemption and and what Jesus did on the cross, that work is complete. Uh, That he has died, that he has risen again, that we, we don't have to earn our salvation. It is finished. It is done. But there is also a sense that we clearly see in scripture that the work of salvation is incomplete. Because are we still on a world full of sin? Absolutely. Are we still struggling against sin? Yes. But is there going to come a day when all of that is dealt with? Yes, absolutely. And so in that sense, we are still waiting for the completion of the work of God, the work of redemption and of restoration. And so we have a foretaste in knowing the forgiveness of our sins, knowing even freedom from sin. But even that idea of this God that's greater than we can imagine, he is coming with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. Jesus Christ, we know, is coming back. And we need to be aware of the work that he is doing and even looking forward to that day. 
God has done something incredible through what Jesus Christ has already done. Uh, But God is someday going to finish the work completely. And we will live in a new heavens and a new earth with him. And that's going to be an amazing thing. So this God that is greater than we can imagine is also doing something that is greater than we can comprehend. And when we step back and look at that, the result for us should be peace and strength. We should have peace. We should have strength because of who our God is and what he is in the process of doing. And we see that very famously at the end of chapter 40 when it talks about being tired. And it says, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We should have an energy when we wait on the Lord. This big God who's doing big things will gain strength as we lean on him. Or another great verse in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's remember that today, that this God is doing great things, even in a a broad sense for all of eternity. And we as his people can find trust and strength in that. And that really matches up with our psalm for the day, Psalm 113, which is full of of praise for God and blessing his name. It says in verse three, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And then really it gets again on this idea that God is incomparable and he is greater than we can imagine. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Uh, The nations are a drop in the bucket to him. And so here we are on a Tuesday. Let's turn our eyes to him and remember how great he is. And let's that, you know, put our problems down to size. And also we know that God has done great things for us. And that's what we get back to in Hebrews. Today, we look at Hebrews chapter nine. Remember kind of a theme we've been thinking about for Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better and he's better than Moses. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. Uh, The the new covenant is better than the old. And in here, we see that Jesus's sacrifice is more effective than anything else. It it talks about how the earthly holy place and the most holy place, if you remember even the tabernacle and the temple, there were those two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. And the most holy place, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it says here, the high priest would only go in there once a year. And and he went in even bringing the blood of a sacrifice. This is something that happened on the day of atonement. And again, he's trying to talk about the superiority of Christ compared to that. Uh, And we really pick up on that in verse 11, where it says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, really talking about heaven, he entered once for all. Love that phrase, once for all into the holy places, not by a means of the bloods of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so instead of priests offering sacrifices every day, and then the high priest offering an off, 
a sacrifice every year. Jesus Christ went into the heavenly holy of holies once for all. And he didn't bring blood of animals. He brought his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And there, that that gives us, again, a sense of how vast this work of salvation that our God is doing is. And so we praise him for that today. And really, as I'm thinking about all of these other things and how great God is, how he's bigger than we can imagine, even the magnitude of what Christ has done, it sets some things for me in a different light as we read the end of Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, 55 to 71. When you think of this God saying the nations are a drop in the bucket to me, they're like the dust on the scales. Well, God, God, the son, he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And as a human, this is what happened to him. It says this in verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. This one to whom the nations are as a drop in the bucket. Not only did he take on flesh, he allowed himself to be mocked, to be beaten, and as we will read in the coming days, to be crucified. And the word makes clear, why did he do this? He did this for our sins. That he would sacrifice his own blood, that he would give up his own life once for all, that we might be saved. How great is our God. How great is the work that he has done in the gospel. And as we comprehend and and just think about these amazing realities that are somewhat beyond even the full ability for us to wrap our minds around them, may we find peace and joy and strength in these things today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.